David Oakes here and welcome to Trees A Crowd and welcome to the third and final of our episodes focusing on wildflower women. If you haven't heard my phone call with ethnobotanist Jenny Martin or my walk in a wood meadow with Rosalind Forbes Adam, rewind a couple of episodes and indulge in all the petals, sepals, xylems and phloems that any podcast could offer. After two weeks of hearing me flounder to identify fungi and flora in the face of flower aficionados, I am on much safer ground this week. This week, as you will shortly hear, I am riverbank side with Shakespeare's Ophelia to talk about the floral testimony she wishes to abruptly espouse. So, without further ado, this is Trees A Crowd, and this is Shakespeare's Secret Language of Flowers with Serena Mantigi. In the depth of the forest and old oak the pride of the greenwood o'er his branches the ivy her mantle threw when the forest boughs were bare oh the oak and the ivy oh the oak and the ivy oh hello hi how you doing i'm good thank you how are you i'm very well thank you it's a gorgeous day it's a beautiful day we're sitting back on the banks of the river ruse we've got a seagull in front of us a rather sunburnt navigator of a tourist vessel <laughs> and a car coming What's behind it called? Us. It's called the Rambler. Nice. The Rambler. That's a good boat name. I'd prefer something a bit more aquatic. That's true. Rambler evokes sort of walking over fells and stuff, doesn't The it? doggy paddler. <laughs> That's what yours would be called. Well, come aboard the doggy paddler. <laughs> Bring your inflatable wings. Um, right, who are you? What's your name? Uh, who am I? That's a good que- That's a big question. <laughs> I ask all the big questions on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I am Serena Mantigi, currently playing Ophelia opposite... What's your Hamlet like? David Eggs' Hamlet. Um, so I thought I would grab you, as yes. I make a natural history podcast, and because you probably have one of the most famous pieces of poetry about wildflowers, flowers and tubers mm. and the like. Um, so I thought it might be nice just sort of to grab you and talk about some of the mythology, some of the reality behind the plants of which mad, mad Ophelia talks about. Well, I will pick you up firstly on that, please, sir. Mad, mad Ophelia. Okay, subjectively crazy. Well, no, but the point being that, sh- like, flower language in Elisa- Elizabethan England was really, really important and was used, like, you know, because you couldn't just sass up to someone in court and be like, mate, I love you, or you've pissed me off, for example. So they all had various different symbolic meanings. And indeed still do. Yeah. We still give ro- red roses for love. We still give lilies yeah. at funerals. Funerals, yeah. And I suppose, like, some flowers, even, like, in a, in a less obvious way, you look at birthday cards or something, they'll always have sunflowers on or, mm-hmm. you know, that, which are natural reactions. And they come out, li- we literally call them sunflowers. We associate them with, you know, happiness and joy and sunshine. Well, sunflowers so, aren't actually a flower, is a, is a fact for you. They're actually a, a commune of loads of little individual flowers who come together to form one big rosette that we call a sunflower. Oh. Depending on when, re- when I release that, you'll hear the fact that I got that fact from somebody else. <laughs> but I claim it wholly as my own. Okay. Um, so for those that don't know the speech, you basically, in your subjective madness, slash flowery sanity, yes. um, you give a number of characters uh, different flowers um, and with the meanings that they correlate to. Well, and again, that's not specified in Shakespeare's stage direction. There are none. So... I guess it's up to each actor to decide whose 
who gets your, what. Who gets what, depending on their symbolism. There's rosemary. That's for remembrance. Thank you. Love, remember. And pansies, that's for thoughts. There is fennel. For you. And columbines. And there is room for you. And here's some for me. Only you must wear your room with a difference. There's a daisy. I would bring you some violets, but they all withered when my father died. So the first thing you do is you have rosemary um, for remembrance. Mm -hmm. And who are you giving that one to? Well, I have chosen to give it to Laertes because she, I think she is trying to communicate something to her brother. And rem uh, so rosemary, which she literally says, is for remembrance. Mm -hmm. And it was because... Um, rosemary, when you picked it, kept its smell for which it still does. You know, that's why we have dried rosemary mm -hmm. as a herb. Like it keeps its smell for ages. So it was for that reason was meant sort of meant. Um, it lingered. It kept you in your mind in yeah, your olfactory. Yeah, and therefore memories, nostalgia, and um, in that sense, you're being attacked, sorry, by, a hoverfly. attacked by a hoverfly. Sort of lasting relationships or um, solidarity things that that last yeah lasting ties I suppose I mean it's still very much used like that today I did a little bit of research so I will I will I will wow you with oh my, my god I can't wait so rosemary is a member of the mint family did you know that I didn't know there that there you go it's part of the same thing so bitter herbs and all that as Queen Elizabeth used to say yeah um, you can argue that rosemary and mint are all in that same sort of big old bracket um, maybe why they both go so well with lamb well quite quite um, and also, well, there's a variant of rosemary that's actually called Remembrance, which is also known as Gallipoli. And on Anzac Day, all the, all the Australians wear a little bushel of rosemary, oh, rosemary. In, their, in their uniforms to remember all those that died at Gallipoli oh. and elsewhere on Anzac Day. So it's, it's, it's interesting to know that we talk about symbolism still enduring from then. Yeah. And in terms of what Shakespeare used the remembrance aspect of rosemary for, it is still being used today. Hmm. So there you go. And in the past... What else? Egyptians used it in their burial rites, but I'm pretty certain they used pretty much everything in their burial rites. But they might have used rosemary specifically for that reason that it, it more than any other herb, it supposedly keeps its flavour and its smell. Sure. Uh, as well as lavender, with like the two sort of lasting. That's why you use them in... Um, Lots of perfumes and things. Perfumes and also, um, you know, you dry it and have it inside your linen cupboard or things like sure. that so la lavender's become more popular today but back in the day you know rosemary and lavender are pretty interchangeable in that way cool all right so uh that's rosemary that's for remembrance yes pansies pansies uh comes from the french i don't know how to pronounce it pensées, which literally go. means thoughts ah should we do the rest um, of the interview in french <laughs> you can <laughs> <laughs> uh so that one's i mean pretty obvious in that sense in that it it and she says it that that's for thoughts so it was related to um to thoughts and, and you're giving those to laertes as well yes i think she is giving those to laertes she's just telling him to think so i think she's saying and also the fact that she says pray you love remember i think love being next to the word remember is her you know remember us remember that you love me and that uh, and then use your brain mm -hmm. think um and also pansies were often um oh, this is badly remembered but um 
often laid on graves, mm-hmm. often planted near graves because they're quite long-lasting. They're quite endu- like they endure all weathers, and they um, pretty hardy flowers. Hence, why you always see them outside pubs and stuff because they don't require a lot of maintenance. Um, so, so one of the interesting things I found out about uh, pansies is one of the other names they have is heartsies, which which is interesting in this context because Shakespeare uses heartsies as the flower that Puck uses to make all the lovers in Midsummer Night's Dream sort of forget about the realities they're faced with and fall in love with the first thing they see. Oh, so, that's so Shakespeare's sort of using it intertwined. I guess, I don't know, hypothesising he's asking you to be more pure, more innocent, to, to use thought as, a, as an instinctive, guttural love being at the heart of you rather than being something that we place upon ourselves. Mm. It's so funny, and also because because it had the association with sort of often being planted near graves, it's sort of associated in in French literature related to sadness and thought, so ennui and yeah, grieving and sadness. Yeah. Oh wow, I didn't know that about Heartsease. That's so interesting. Did you also know, and this will come into more relevance when we get to the end of your speech, that pansies are basically just the same as violets? Yes, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, hold that thought, we'll get on to that. The, the most interesting thing I found out about pansies, though, however, is that Scarlet O'Hara was originally called Pansy O'Hara. And That's a terrible name. Well, it was, the, it was the working name for it, and they changed it just at the last minute before they pub- uh, published it. Pansy O'Hara? Uh, to think. If Scarlet O'Hara needs to do anything, it's to think That's a little bit true. more. That's so, true. So, I mean, there's the symbolism right there, but maybe it was too on the button. But then I prefer Scarlet because she she Spicy. isn't a thinker. She's a like fiery, passionate. But do we think of her as that because Vivian Lee played her as feisty? Perhaps because she was called Scarlet. Maybe if she was called Pansy, they would have got someone a little bit more ethereal and Maybe. lighter. Maybe I don't know. Even in the book, though, she's pretty spunky. <laughs> I'm not Shakespeare. Spunky. I my words aren't as powerful as <laughs> <laughs> Spunky O'Hara. Okay, yeah. Actually, uh, I'd play Spunky O'Hara. <laughs> I like the idea of that. Um, All right, next up, Fennel. Fennel and Columbines. So, Fennel lose... They are quick to wither, so they were associated with a lack... Basically, the opposite of rosemary. Um, Faithlessness, um, insincerity or... Lack um, of fidelity. Lack of fidelity, yeah. So, um, that's where the Columbines come in as well. That meant adultery, but specifically male adultery, Mm -hmm. and... um, also, uh, there was something to do with... Co- oh, God, sorry, this is bad yeah. research. Something to do with columbines in a Greek h- historical thing where um, so a man betrays another man, and, and, and so columbines sort of had that... It's specifically to do with men betraying men. Okay. And, yeah, and male adultery. So Male adultery, faithlessness. Yeah. They became, the, as I've got written down here, considered the flower for deceived lovers. Yes. So, uh, as I... Th- think is pretty clear from that i think she's giving them to claudius claudius yeah and that's why i think some people give them to gertrude but it doesn't I, make sense with the male connotations of, yeah, yeah i don't think i think it's definitely um and also it works personally for me because i hate fennel <laughs> so <laughs> so that's, I that's am, a very strong feeling for fennel yeah i hate fennel so it's quite useful i'm like Ugh, fennel where well fennel's a member of the carrot family how do you feel about carrots i love carrots okay well, that's fairly unfaithful in your I commitment. Fennel would simultaneously unusual. be proud and disgusted by your lack of appreciation <laughs> for it. Oh, it's horrible. It tastes like <laughs> aniseed. Oh, I love it. 
Um, I do, you know what? I'm getting used to the little greeny. I can have a bit of that. In it's a lovely salad. in a salad though. A bit of olive oil. Only a tiny bit because it's more floral. But that hardcore root bit when you have like roasted fennel. Sure. Yeah. The only uh, mythical instance of fennel that I really came across was Prometheus. He carries um, a bushel of uh, fennel on fire from Mount Olympus down to Earth. And that's how we got fire on Earth. Which I guess that's is... quite interesting though in terms of it being to do with male fall, the fall of, of man, uh-huh. actually. and um... Fire as a form of destruction as well as creation. Yeah. Which I guess is unfaithfulness as well, being in uh, unfaithful to a woman is to not only create but also to remove creation from somewhere else. Well, and also in like um, regicide and feminicide, in that he mm-hmm. destroys the king in order to become the king. I mean, I hope Shakespeare was thinking about Prometheus. Um, what he, I mean, there's so much uh, Greek and Roman mythology littered into Shakespeare. I mean, Hamlet talks about satyrs and. Hyperion and all yeah. of this stuff endlessly. Also, which is why I think, you know, query the man mad Ophelia, because Hamlet talks in a lot of garden, you know, you say like the, this unweeded yeah, um, garden yeah. and Laertes, uh, you know, unweeded uses... garden that grows to seed. Things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. Yeah. So she is employing these, because all your, you know, all Hamlet's madness things, there is a, there is. He's not mad, he's Hello? just florally sane. Yes, <laughs> as is Ophelia. There you go, that's why they go um, say together. And as Polonius says, you know, this, this may be management that's method in it. Everything sort of makes sense that he's saying. There is a, and I think the same is, goes for Ophelia. And she watches Hamlet do it. I'm just going to apologise on the record for the building site across the other side of the river. Maybe they'll stop doing what they're doing in a second. Hopefully. Um, let's continue anyway. Uh, so okay. Columbine, just for a little bit of further reading, comes from the Latin word for dove oddly, um, and it belongs to a family called Equilegia, which uh, comes from the Latin for, for eagle. Eagle? Yeah, like Aquila and all that kind of stuff. It's all the same derivation. But Columbine, deadly in large quantities, potentially. Yes. Um, and, and fascinating from a scientific perspective, uh, there was lots of research done into Columbine flowers because they proved reverse evolution. Um, so they found that they were the flowers were adapting in order to be specifically pollinised by a certain kind of creature, whether it be hummingbirds or hawk moths or the like. And by the colour of the particular flowers of particular different species of columbine, they worked out they were actively attracting specific kinds of pollinators. Columbine's so awesome. Quite, yeah, yeah, and quite, well, weed-like in their manipulation of yeah. the natural world. <gasps> That's so bang on. I wish Shakespeare had known about the... Maybe he did in some senses. In that, like, Darwin well, before Darwin. Yeah, in that columbine you know, survives everywhere. Yeah. Uh, what's next? Columbines. Next Rue. is Rue. Right, Rue's the interesting one. Okay, go on then. Who gets Rue? I think it's for Gertrude okay. because it was gen. Well, it was associated with female adultery, mm-hmm. obviously, but specifically because Rue was used in abortions, and that's why it was sort of, you know, associated with with female downfall and and adultery and um, uh, lack of fidelity and faithfulness. So There's a theme running through this, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. See, she's bang on. She knows what she's talking about. Uh, so I, you know, that therefore for what she perceives as Gertrude's lack of fidelity towards um, King Hamlet. And then, well, so she says, and here's some for me, which I think is a clue towards the fact that her and Hamlet have um, consummated their relationship. Um, Have we done the naughty? 
<laughs> wow. Well, you talk about the puppets dallying, mate. Yeah, you tell good me. Point, well, mate. I just thought he was referring to his love of Thunderbirds. <laughs> Do you think he? Oh, so they don't have sex. He just come. He just invites her into a chamber. Nineteen sixties Jerry Anderson classics. He puts on his own little puppet shows for her. (laughs) It's like a season's greetings. (laughs) All the little pigs. Okay, yes, I mean, if, if you'd rather believe that it's a puppet show, that's fine, you do, it's all about you, do you. Scott, Virgil, Alan, Gordon and John. <laughs> so interestingly enough, I, like, I mean, I don't think Shakespeare tra- travelled to Lithuania, but in Lithuania, um, rue is the symbol for virginity and purity. It's the national flower. Lots of girls wear it at sort of young birthday parties and the like. But geographically speaking, flowers, although can spread across Europe, have different Yes. Meanings to different people in different places. Yeah. So, um, as well as being the abortion thing, is something it's, it's got loads of medicinal uses through time. People have put it in loads of different concoctions. Um, I discovered a book, a medieval handbook called Tassun, I can't say it, Tacunium Sanitatis. That's not how you pronounce it, but you get close enough. And they said it's useful because it sharpens the eyesight and dissipates flatulence. <laughs> and dangers of it include augmenting the sperm and dampening the desire for coitus. Augmenting the sperm? Yeah. I don't know what that means. Makes them bigger. Probably so big they can't come out subsequently. (laughs) No, if you augment the sperm, surely that would... Give you more of it. More desire for coitus. Yeah. Hmm. I like the idea of sharpening the eyesight, though, that she's, you know, that also works in that she's saying, look around you, guys. It's, Um, It's such a bitter herb that every single sort of reference I can find to it gives it either purity through isolation because it doesn't die or because it's so distinct or it's vile and I mean it causes burns on the skin it's yeah. pretty horrible um, there's a fictional creature called a basilisk uh, which yes. could famously kill anything by looking at it or breathing at it but it couldn't kill Rue it would look at it breathe on it and just nothing would happen it'd just go nah Ugh. Yeah. anything else you want to say about Rue well I've always slightly thought of Ophelia as quite a Cassandra-esque character mm-hmm especially in that speech and I think you mean a character from Only Fools and Horses yeah um, so in this scenario Gertrude Stellboy and <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think she's saying but you must wear your rue with a difference I sort of well also in our production she's a lot more aware of Claudius's various machinations she sees the scene between Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and Claudius mm-hmm. um, telling them to follow him to England. So I think she is warning Gertrude to some extent, whether it's a hunch or, you know, legitimate, saying, you must wear your rue with a difference, like your actions will lead to the death of your son as well. Okay. So you will abort So it's, an, it's a future child. abortion rather yeah. than an abortion of the past. Yeah, That's which is why it's with a difference. There you go. Because to some extent as well, when she says, his rue for me she has decided perhaps that she's already going to kill herself so she or perhaps even her unborn child you could hypothesize it so i mean if they are sleeping together um which i think it's clear that they are then whether she knows she's pregnant or not which is not necessarily relevant you know back in elizabethan england you would know well if we slept together the chance that i'm carrying a child is very real Mm -hmm. therefore if she's decided thinking contemplating suicide she knows she's going to take her own life and the life of her child sure. so she will be aborting yeah, her unborn child so on to Daisy who gets a Daisy Daisies are representative of innocence because they sort of sprout anywhere um, 
but they uh, are easily trodden. But they're also that whole he loves me, he loves me not mm-hmm. um, symbolised supposedly with a betrayal of love or unrequited love. But you don't give Daisy to anyone, or Ophelia doesn't. You? No. Well, in, in, in our production, I'm choosing to give it to an audience member to demonstrate to Laertes that, you know, they have meanings and that he needs to accept what I'm saying. But um, in a lot of different productions, people either see the daisy and don't pick it because it's the idea that... Um, it's too pure. It's it too pure to give to by... anyone in the court, yeah. Sure. Which is also, for me, why I give it to an audience member because it's like... that. They see, they get it. Sure. No one else in this room deserves that daisy because it is the only thing that is innocent and pure. Sure. Which brings us on to violets. Or have violets. you got things to say about daisies? No, I don't. I, they're, like daisies, they, they're so abundant everywhere yeah. and adaptable. There's, they don't feature as much in mythology as you might have imagined. Um, they're, the Norse god of beauty, Freya, they're her flower, and she's the goddess of fertility and purity yes. and love but also fire and gold and a whole yeah, lot of other things and, so um, I'm not sure if you and can and she's a warrior as well isn't yeah. she Fred? I think all the Norse gods are pretty warrior yeah. yeah okay so violets your last one violets represent faithfulness remind us what you say about them I would bring you some violets but they all withered when my father died which I think is basically her version of something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Mm-hmm. So she's saying, I, I, so violets which represent, which uh, Laertes um, praises earlier in the play by saying, think of Hamlet's love, um, he says, as a violet in the youth of primy nature, mm-hmm. forward not lasting, sweet not permanent. He mentions violets again when Ophelia's in her grave. At the end, on my sister's grave will violets grow. Yes, yeah, yeah. So basically, violets are everything pure, honest, true, good. The Romans Um, placed them on their children's graves, for example. It's pretty sad. Yeah. All the references I could find in Roman myths were uh, Venus gets in an argument with Cupid um, and insists that Cupid tells her who's more beautiful, Venus herself or some other girls hanging around town. And Cupid goes to girls, so Venus turns them into violets. Um, and there's a few mm. other instances where people get turned into violets to keep them pure, to keep them ostracised. Yes. But to then suggest, as Ophelia is, that all the violets are dead. Yeah. Is to say that purity is null and void. Yeah, and there is nothing... And also, I think, like, basically, violets will never grow here. Sure. There is nothing pure or good in Elsinore. Um, and as, as a boat named after a rose goes past us very loudly... Quite, Quite suitable. It's it's <laughs> it's the Alfie that Rose. Yeah, Alfie Rose. I don't know who Alfie is. Do you think um, that's Alfie? He's well, quite looking quite scornfully at us. <laughs> All these actors sitting on my riverside talking about wildflowers. <laughs> Not again. So yeah, it's her saying I can't bring you violets because everything is rotten and impure here. Which I think also she, I think she's sort of realising for herself in that moment as well as saying it to Laertes and, you know, everyone. It's a realisation. It's the closing beat. Yes. Yeah. This world is broken. Even the flowers won't grow anymore. Yeah, it's almost, um, it's like the beat before, so I should probably end my life. There you go. 
because and then that ties in I think with the unborn child you know do I want to raise my child in a in a place where there is there is no purity or innocence or or anything good do you think there is therefore symbolism I mean she goes to die in a brook with a willow as slanted famously yeah I mean there's there's valuable references to what a willow means in culture there was an amazing episode of um, Natural Histories with Brett on Radio 4 which was all about the history of willows in culture and all this kind of stuff which is amazing which is worth hunting out if anyone can find it Mm. but um she lives by the flowers and then goes and dies by the flowers yeah and I think it's it's sort of there's something as you say the way that um, Hamlet uses the his nature metaphors and well and Shakespeare does throughout all his plays there's mm-hmm. something around about the natural world that is um, truer and closer to to truth than than you know the physical material man-made world True. Um so it feels, yeah, I think it feels right that she goes and, and also it's peaceful. Yeah. Willows are associated generally with places that are quiet and, you Not know, surrounded mixed. with tourist boats going past every <laughs> few minutes and, and building sites going on the other side of the yeah, road. Yeah, don't. I don't reckon Ophelia would have got away with it if she tried to kill herself here. <laughs> Alfie, Alfie Rose would have pulled alongside and thrown <laughs> you a life preserver. Oh, you're right, love. <laughs> Um, yes, I'm trying to stage <laughs> suicide. Please leave me alone, sir. Well, we'll leave it there then. That's amazing. Thank you very much for your Thank wonderful you. insight. <laughs> ah, to be momentarily transported back to the summer of 2019, sitting in the sun on the banks of the River Ouse, surrounded by pleasure craft, a resurgence of tansy beetles, and actresses with a passion for pastoral research what's not to love a massive thank you to serena for letting me pick her brains back in august and indeed for being a fantastic affiliate to play opposite for a number of very happy months in york last year right moving on we've deluged you with content for the past few weeks i hope it's lifted your respective lockdowns a little but i'm now going to take a couple of weeks off and return us to our usual fortnightly schedule That, however, is not to say that we've not run out of interviews. No, indeed, not in the slightest. For next fortnight, recorded back in February in Bend, Oregon, we're delving deep into the American National Park system and taking a look at our planet's largest trees, the big trees themselves, the redwoods. This podcast is, after all, all about trees. Until then, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Subscribe to our feed on Spotify or whichever app you like to use. And we will be back with you on the first Monday in July. All my very best to you all. But it's a goodbye from me and goodbye from my editor, Ollie. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Oh, the oak and the ivy. Oh, the oak and the ivy.